Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration Service for the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. So as the sound of the bell diminishes, we find ourselves in that quiet place within. And we recognize that life is an inside job. And so when we find the peace within, we're going to see the peace reflected in our world outside of us. We just did a beautiful chant by Karen Drucker called the Loving Kindness Chant. And it starts off with, may I be filled with loving kindness. It always starts with ourselves. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease and may I be happy. And once we can find that place within ourselves where loving kindness can flow, well, then we can see our world in that same light and say, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. And may you be happy. And so the love gets bigger, the kindness gets bigger, the compassion radiates out from within, and we can see it mirrored in the world. And then we come to this collective place where we can say then, may we be filled. May we as a human species be filled with loving kindness. May we as a human species and as a living species on planet Earth be well. May we all be peaceful and at ease. And may we be happy. And as we cast this net of light out into the world, more are embraced, more are held, more are seen as our own self. Huh. And then we rest in that awareness. This Sunday, I'm going to explore the idea that the premise must be God. theme for this month is you are the one that you've been looking for. Now, who is that one that you've been looking for? Is it an ego that you've built up through a long lifetime of achievements and goals? Or is the you that you've been looking for mm, the loving kindness person, the one that is well? Is the one that you've been looking for, the one that is peaceful and at ease, is the one that you've been looking for, the happy one, the joy-filled one. And then we get to ask ourselves, could we let joy be our compass in life? Could we let peace be the fashioning factor in our karma? Could compassion, radiating from our heart, embrace ourselves with all of our challenges, embrace each other, and embrace the whole as our own self. So we rest in this question. 
Who have we been looking for? Who are we ready to embrace in this new year? Have we resolved to evolve into a higher frequency being on planet Earth? No longer Homo Neanderthal or Homo Erectus or Homo Sapien or Homo Sapien Sapien, but have we evolved into Homo Universalis, the universal human? And we can call ourselves the universe soul. Come on in, Thomas. Your little boy's with you today. Nice to meet you. And there's beloved Janet closing the doors. It's full circle. It takes a village to do this on Sunday. And so we smile to our, to our inner beingness. I pray every Sunday with my prayer partner up in Canada. And as we closed the prayer this Sunday morning, he talked about how what we are is being, becoming. And so to enter into the flow of a becoming, who are we becoming in 2024? Are we becoming this homo universalis, this universal human? Are we becoming the divine presence waking up in time and space? an eternal presence that has no beginning and has no end? Who are we becoming in this journey to nowhere, this journey to now here? Who are we becoming? Are we becoming freer? Are we in a flow of the universe? Or are we somehow stuck on our stuff? We get to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves at this turning point in life. This is the life the Lord has made. Could I rejoice and be glad in it? And we live in these questions of potential and possibility, this life that wants to become more of itself through each one of us. But it does require that we put down the story of yesterday so we can enter into the mystery of today. So we get to ask ourselves, am I willing to put down the widow me who's been carrying the weight of the world around on her shoulders trying to convince that everybody that I've got a problem and I want you all to see it? Or have we evolved out of that person who is identifying with our stuff and we've discovered, and life is one great big discovery, that there is that which is whole, perfect, and complete, and it's waiting for all of us. So I want to invite you to open your eyes and enter into the space with me consciously as we get ruthlessly honest with ourselves as we enter into a new year. I loved when I quoted Barbara Marks Hubbard last week when she talked about how we're here to evolve as a species. And so she says, and in our lives, when things seem to be really dysfunctional and falling apart, the good news is they'll keep being dysfunctional and fall apart until they fall away. Well, am I willing to let it fall away? And then you hear um, Buckminster Fuller who said, you don't get rid of an old paradigm by going against an old paradigm. You dissolve an old paradigm by discovering a new idea that's greater than the old paradigm. And then you begin to evolve in that direction. I love what's happening in our Christian community. In the Methodist church, they're having a big brouhaha over the gay element. Should we allow them to be in the church or not? And I thought that was, isn't it humorous that that would be the issue that's creating this foundational break apart coming together. 
the LGBTQ rights. Well, I think it's right. They're going to stop condemning us and maybe they'll start loving us. What do you think, Gigi? It's time, isn't it? I pulled out my Science of Mind magazine and they're talking about the evolution of our organization, the evolution of new thought. And I, what I really like about the Science of Mind is that the very beginning of the magazine, and we used to have this on the programs here when we would print out the programs, but it's Ernest Holmes, What We Believe is a Teaching. And I think it's nice to start the new year with a lot of new people to reconfirm what we stand for in this teaching. He says this, Ernest Holmes, we believe in God, the living spirit almighty, one, indestructible, absolute, and self-existence cause, with a big C. So we deal at the level of cause and effect. And it's not cause and effect, really, it's cause-effect, because they coexist. So he says, we recognize God as the cause, as the source of everything in manifestation. So, as the, the living spirit, almighty one, indestructible, absolute, and self-existence cause with a big C. And this one, with a capital O, manifests itself with a capital I in and through all creation. That means it's in you, the little boy with the glasses and the red shirt. This one power is in you. But it's not absorbed by its creation. Rather, this manifest universe is the body of God. It is the logical and necessary outcome of the infinite self-knowingness of God. So this power that you're giving the big G, it gets to know itself through its creation, and you're that creation, and so am I. Well, he's getting mighty intimate with source, isn't he, Adam? Could we know the divinity within us? And when you find it in here, you're going to see it everywhere out there. That's just the first one that it's all one life, that it's all God. The second one is we believe in the individualization of spirit in us, and he says in all people, as individuations of the one spirit. I crossed out all people and just say all creation. It's in everything. We came in, Bob and I, and there was a little spider crawling across where we're having our breaking bread lunch today. So don't be offended. I didn't kill the spider. He's really teeny tiny, and he ran under the table. So... He's joining us for our breaking bread. It's just a spider. We believe, the third one, in the eternality, we're eternal beings, spirit was never born and never dies, in the eternality and the immortality and the continuity of the individual soul forever and ever expanding. So we're an eternal soul who's probably been around a time or two, and we're here to evolve and grow in this incarnation and in future incarnations. So you get to take your consciousness with you when you leave this mortal coil. And hopefully you came here because you were ready for a deeper experience of truth with a big T. And the word truth comes from the Greek word, which means that which unhides itself. That means it's inherent within us. So the truth will set you free. But first we have to discover it. And then you hear Muji, the great mystic, who said, all spirituality is a big discovery. And on the very first page of the Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes says, this universal power wouldn't leave us here blind. No, it gave us the capacity to discover who we are. So that's what we do every Sunday, every song that we sing, every prayer that we give is to remember who we are. I am remembering who I am, who I am. <clears throat> the next one, fourth, we believe that heaven is within us. It's not out there somewhere beyond Jupiter. No, we believe that heaven is within us and that we experience it to the degree that we become conscious of it. And then you hear Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is within. Seek it first and everything will be added unto you. 
He's basically pointing to the same thing that Thich Nhat Hanh is pointing to, that place called home. And when we arrive in this homeful heaven within, well, then you find the peace, the wholeness, the stillness. You're not chasing after some illusory dream. My dear friend Charlotte loves to quote me. She says the most famous quote you ever did, David, was when you said, there's a children's song that'll change your life. Row, row, row your boat, not somebody else's boat, gently down the stream of life. Merrily, 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 four merrilies to every three rows. In other words, we're here to have a good time. Why? Because life is but a dream. And then when you see this is the dream, and the dream has many chapters, Miss Ashley, and you go through these chapters, and now we're at the dream of, isn't this fun? I'm sitting next to a woman with red glasses on. How did the dream get so strange? With a lovely hat, by the way. Number five, we believe the ultimate goal of life is to be, com is to be in complete freedom from all the discord of every nature, and that this goal is sure to be attained by all. The goal of life is to let go of the stuff. Raoul's favorite phrase is, I know there's a pony in there somewhere. You get the metaphor. So could we let go of the stuff that no longer serves us? And then you hear that wonderful chant, I am letting go of the things that no longer serve me. As I'm letting go, I am healed, I am made whole. So in this constant dance of life, we get to let go of that stuff that no longer serves us. Anybody got the man that done you wrong still hanging out in your consciousness? Good. Because if you do, you're going to suffer. It has nothing to do with the man that done you wrong. But when you can let go of whatever narrative you're telling, you find yourself free. He says, we believe in the unity of all life. I circled that. The unity of all life. That widow spider in the, in the other room is a sacred widow spider. This penguin is a sacred little penguin. He takes care of me. Is he a dumb penguin? No. He's my spirit animal. So we believe in the unity of all life and that the highest God... And the innermost God is one God. Is that too big for the churches all up and down Whitesburg, you think? That the highest God and the innermost God is one God? I just ask him the question. We believe that God is personal to all who feel an indwelling presence. Put your hand on your heart. Feel that indwelling presence. If you can, smile. If you can't feel it, look at this bromeliad. It's smiling back at you. And if you can't find it in here, touch your husband's heart or your friend's heart, and you'll find it right there, your little boy's heart. Yeah, the unity of all life. We believe in the direct revelation of truth through our intuition and our spiritual nature and that anyone may become a revealer of truth who lives in close contact with their own indwelling God. When you tap this presence within you, you're a revealer of its presence through you. Is it that simple? And then it comes in a little form of a dog at your back door. And you know, every animal that we encounter, we have a soul contract with. They're here to teach us unconditional love. There are no accidents in the universe. So when this little angel came over to Sylvia O'Neill's and then got picked up by animal control, I'm just saying, maybe there's a soul waiting for another soul to recognize it and claim it as um, a little friend with blue eyes. We believe in the direct revelation of truth through our intuition. Ernest Holmes says, intuition is spirit in the soul of man. So intuition, we all have it. It's not just feminine intuition, no. It's the way spirit reveals itself. So could we have an intuitive experience with this something that is always courting us? It never went anywhere. We get distracted by all the stuff of the world. But when we radically stop letting go of the things that no longer serve us, and as we go within, and we discover this compassion, 
this peace, this stillness that's waiting for us. In the silence, there is peace. In the silence, there is unspoken joy. In the silence, there's release of a world filled with chaos and hope. So we wait for those silent moments so that the peace can begin to reveal itself yet again and says, I've always been here, Miss Rava. You've just been distracted by CNN. But you turn off the CNN and you go right there and there's the peace just waiting for you. Uh, did it just take me turning off? Maybe it did. Could we turn off the voices in our head too? And then find that which is waiting for us. It's a lifelong endeavor. Direct revelation through intuition and our spiritual nature and that anyone may become a revealer of truth who lives in close contact with their own indwelling God. We're making contact all the time, every moment of every day. Beloved Anastasia came back from her trip to Germany and she sent me this little video of a man singing to an iguana. And it's like a love song. And every time I watch it, I start tears come down my face because I realize love is not just a human experience. And when we can interspirit, even with, a, with an iguana, you can realize the iguana is loving on the human just as much as the human is loving on the iguana. Am I crazy, Sylvia, to see this love flowing back and forth? It's, it's, a, it's an animal. It shouldn't have. And you know what? I think that these critters that are on planet Earth are here teaching us how to love. We humans who want to make it quantifiable and questionable and expectations of others. No, these animals have no expectations other than they want to give you love. They'll stop by. We believe, this is number eight, that the universal spirit, which is God. Remember, we're talking about God today. This universal spirit, which is God, operates through a universal mind. That's a capital U and an M. Not the widow mind. Yes, it's there too. But it's really through a universal mind and we're all accessing it. There is one mind. That mind is God's mind. That mind is perfect. That mind is my mind now. There is only one love. That love is God's love. That love is perfect. That love is my love now. So we begin to align with this something that's greater. She's, he's pointing it to this universal spirit, which is God, operates through a universal mind, which is a law of God that we are surrounded by with a creative mind, capital C and M, which receives this direct impress of thought and then acts upon it. So could we learn to tune in to an intelligence that is greater than that? Read Albert Einstein. He says in our men's room, there's a big poster of him, I don't want to know what man thinks, I want to know what God thinks. So is it possible that we could tap into the universal mind and begin to access it through our intuition? saying we're all interconnected. Our beloved Phyllis Light was here last Sunday, and she talks to the animals, I mean, talks to the plants. They have intelligence too. So could we tune in when the, um, the aloe plant is giving us its gospel, the gospel of aloe? We've got some aloe plants in the other room. Don't you love all the plants around the center? And there's a sign in the classroom that says, plants heal. I have plants all over my house and on the inside of the house. And when my twin sister, I came back with some of her ashes, I said, which plant do you want to go in? I've got all these trees and stuff. And she said, I want to go in the house plants. So it was a little bit of my sister and all these house plants. I think some of the, my sister's ashes went with you, Anastasia. I'm, I'm just spreading her around. So if you feel strange, blame me. The next one, he says, we believe in the healing of the sick and the control of conditions through the power of mind. 
That's saying that we can participate in creating a healthy life by choosing healthy thoughts, by choosing life-affirming thoughts. And you know what you, it's like a gardener. What, what you sow is what you're going to reap. It's a very simple spiritual principle. Two men look out of a prison cell. One sees stars, the other sees mud. What are you going to cultivate? Are you going to see the illumined ideas or are you going to bemoan the dirt of life? We get to choose and we're always at choice point. So we can choose what side of the story we're going to be on. Are we going to be on the emancipation and the liberation or are we going to be on the bondage side of the story? It's always our intention that makes it so. So skipping down, we believe that this universal spirit, which is God, operates through the universal mind, which is the law of God, and we are surrounded by this creative mind which receives the direct impress of our thought. So what seeds are you sowing in your life? Are they life-affirming thoughts? You know, do you see the good, the God, the grace, and everything? I, I'm at that place right now where I see it's all good, it's all God, even what you're going through with your brother. What a sacred time. When the world out there is going through challenges, that's where we get to take the high ground. We get to know that there's grace operating here. That something, it's the old, there's got to be a pony in here. It brings out the best in all of us, doesn't it? When we come, there's a, a, a minister colleague of mine that I found out that she passed last week, right around Christmas. And um, she spoke at one of our minister's conferences, Marcia Sutton. She was a mystic. And she said, when you give your life to God and this God presence starts to come into your experience, she says, it will literally bring you to your knees. Well, one of the religious science ministers says, I am not brought to my knees. I don't get on my knees for anyone. Well, they obviously didn't get it. To be brought to your knees is to be so humbled by that something which is so much greater that takes you into a direct experience. It was mected of something, this mystic from way back when my prayer partner was quoting her today. And in her, in her writings, she said, God so fell in love with me that he took up residence within my soul. Now, that's someone who's falling on their knees in a direct experience with this something greater that we all access. For me, I accessed it on a dance floor. I, I found the cre- Via Creativa moving through me as a dancer, Mozart. Then I worked on my master's thesis on the anatomy of inspiration. And I realized that great artists, they access this intelligence. Mozart would hear the music complete in his head. And he said it was my job to get the notes down on the paper because I was hearing this sounds from the universe. So what if each one of us has our own unique way of discovering this mysterious something that is courting all of us? It's always already there. It's in our beloved Maddie. She would go running up and down the aisles. She was born in this vibration. So we're all going to treat and pray that she is going to take her great soul into an expression that will be compensated well by the universe because she has such an open heart. I love the young people who are so on fire. There's another one of our mystics. She has communion in the garden. She just walked in. We believe in the healing of the sick. Okay, and we believe in the eternal goodness, the eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of life with a big L to all with a big L. So this presence is giving of itself to every single one of us, to life itself. It isn't a Christian God or a Jewish God or a Hindu God or a Buddhist God, no. It's one life which gives with equanimity to all of us, and all we have to do is say yes. It's always already there, and it hangs out in your awareness. Not so much in your thoughts. The thoughts are the surface level of me, the me person. But underneath thought, there's this awareness that is awake. Could we stay awake? Could we remember that we are that? And then you hear the Sanskrit phrase, tatwam asi, thou art that. 
You are that mind that is awake. You are that heart that is open. You are that compassion that is flowing. It's not my compassion or your compassion. Compassion is this givingness of divine love to its creation. It's the highest vibration of love is compassion. So when we did that loving kindness, beautiful meditation, could we be filled with this compassion? In fact, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama says, my religion is kindness. He doesn't say it's Buddhism. No, it's kindness. So what if we enter into this new year with a shift in our vibration, Ashley, that we could enter in it with kindness? It has to start with self. It has to always start with self. That's not an egoic thing. Could we meet our, my prayer partners, we're going to be doing a circle of love in Canada and he wants to do a workshop. And so he was telling me this morning, he said, I have this crazy idea for a workshop, David. I'll give everybody a mask. And then on this mask, they'll have what they don't know. It's called erasable ink, but they think it's real ink. And they will draw all the stuff that they mask themselves with. Their story, their narrative, their labels, their this. And then they put these masks on and they walk around in silence and everybody gets to look at you with the mask that you're giving to the world. And then surprise, surprise, we're going to give them a meditation and a purge of divine love and we'll put water over those masks that have the washable ink and all the things will dissolve and then they'll put the masks on and they'll walk again around the room and then who do you see now in silence when you've when you've dissolved all the stuff that you've covered yourself with i said well it sounds like it has potential we've got a year before we do this retreat do you see how we all try to figure out the masks that we play and when i taught the power of myth by joseph campbell i would end that class 10-week class with a practice, and the, la the practice I had them do was I want everyone to write your own personal myth. And I like to do the class right along with the students. So I remember writing maybe 20 years ago, maybe 25, I think Sylvie was in the center then. I wrote this myth, and the myth was I was a little boy, and I was given the mask of the perfect little boy. Then I was given the mask of the perfect brother, and I was given the mask of the perfect student. I was given the mask of the perfect actor, and the perfect this, and the perfect that. Well, I had so many masks, and I had my little backpack, and all the masks were in my backpack. And then I went to the Asilomar Spiritual Conference on the West Coast, and I went out to put my masks on, and they kept falling off. They wouldn't go. I couldn't wear the masks anymore. Now, I'm just saying, it's a myth. And you know what a myth is? It's something that never happened, but is always happening. So we have the myth of the virgin birth. It's not about Mary and Joseph in the stable. No, it's about the birth of this Christ within the virgin of us, in the innocent, pure part of us that gives birth, in a stable, in the dark, lower parts of us. It's the Christ within. Um, the resurrection isn't something that happened to Jesus after 31 years on planet Earth. No, it's the death of the ego and the birth of our true nature, of the awakened Christ. So you take those myths and you turn them into living realities for all of us. And then you hear Dr. Ernest Holmes in The Science of Mind saying, you have to have your own resurrection. But in order to have a resurrection, you need to have a crucifixion. So again, a metaphor, a myth. So what needs to die in us so that something greater can give birth through us? Well, I think that's the last question. Let's go to the last one on the I believe list. The last one, I believe in our own soul, in our own spirit, and in our own destiny, for we understand that the life of all is the life of God. Well, I think I need to read that one more time because it's a pretty big pill to swallow. We believe in our own soul, the Atman, and you hear in Hinduism, the Atman and the Brahman are one. So if Brahman is God and we are all Atman, well, we're one with that. It's like Rumi said, oh, drop, oh, drop. Again, a meta metaphor. Give it. 
to be wooed by the ocean? The ocean for a drop? Give it up. Drop. And then you realize that we are the ocean of love and we've identified with the wave on the ocean of the me person. But could we let all the waves of the separate, seeming separate, all fall back into this ocean of love? And then when this love arises, it's not my love or Michael's love. No, it's divine love flowing through. And then you see it in the lizard. It's the same love. You see it in the little dog that showed up in your yard. It's the same love. It doesn't have greater or lesser. It's the one life. Lastly, we believe in our own soul, our own spirit, and our own destiny. For we understand that the life of all is the life of God. Well, it's kind of a big little pill to swallow, isn't it? It's all God. In Science of Mind, since I started years and years and years ago, Every January, they would cover the thing itself, the way it works, what it does, and how to use it, which are the first four chapters of the science of mind. So I pulled out my old science of mind, and I went to Ernest Holmes. This is the essential Ernest Holmes, where they put the, the greatest supposed writings of his, and right at the very beginning is the thing itself. And it just give you a taste of how he thinks. This was in 1920-something, 100 years ago. Ernest Holmes says, the thing itself... He says, the seed of freedom must be planted in the innermost parts of our self. He used the word man. But like the prodigal son, man must make the great discovery for himself. So he's saying we have this God self in us, but we have to discover it for ourselves. So ask yourself, when do you experience divine love? And you know how you can find it? If you experience love in your life, like I know Thomas has his little boy here, there's divine love right next to him. So you experience love in your children. Every time I think of Maddie, divine love wakes up. I experience divine love when I see a plant. I'm not separate from them. And then the plant, when I say, teach me and show me the way, the plant says, root yourself in a pot. Make sure it's nice and loose soil. It's not too compacted or your roots won't be happy. And then give yourself to the light and let yourselves reach toward the light. Hopefully you come here on Sundays because you get the light. I hope I don't give you too much darkness. But then again, in the darkness, you'll find the light as well. So when the darkness shows up, everything is invited. That's the paradox. Nothing is excluded. He goes on to say, Ernest Holmes. Um, let me, I'm going to go to this next page. Oh, What you're looking for, you are looking at and you are looking with. That's right from the science of mind. The thing you're looking for, you're looking with. So when I talk about um, you're looking, you are the one you've been looking for. It's the God within that you've been looking for. And this is the very first Ernest Holmes thing he says. Um, okay. If all is one, Ernest reasoned, then the oneness is right where each of us is, and its ways are our ways. <laughs> the part of us that seeks God is the presence of God, with a capital P, at our level of awareness. It's seeking to consciously, deliberately reconnect with itself. So God's wanting to wake up, Adam. It wants you to remember, this is who you are. You're not that little man who's got his to-do list. No, no. You're a divine God waking up. And then you realize we enter our, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say. The part of us that seeks God is the presence of God at the level of our awareness, seeking to consciously, deliberately reconnect with itself. And he goes on to say, the only reason that man is limited is that he has not allowed his divine nature within him to be more completely expressed. We've gotten stuck in the illusion of the me person. In our lovely class, The Grace and Aging, the students are asked to separate themselves from the masks that all they wear and to discover that which is underneath it. 
hiding, lying stretched in smiling repose, that eternal soul that we all are. But we don't find it unless we look for it and discover that it's always already there. Even in our darkest times, it was right there waiting for us. Always, already there. Ernest Holmes. Okay, the key. It does not do anything. Oh, prayer does something to the mind of the one praying. It does not do anything to God. So when we pray, we are aligning our consciousness to a higher vibration of awareness. Hopefully, we're aligning to truth. We're aligning to peace and compassion. It works on us. The eternal gift is always made in every moment. That's why it's not something down in the future. No, it's right now in this sacred moment. All we need to do is go within and touch that space and be willing. Right now, the eternal gift is always already made. The gift of God is the nature of God. The eternal givingness of itself to its creation. And then Richard Rohr, my beloved Franciscan monk, he says we're godding. We're all experiencing the God nature in a very intimate sort of way, unique to you. God cannot help giving her gifts because guess what? God is the gift. She's giving of herself. And God isn't a he. I love to play the he-she game. It's androgynous. The soul's androgynous. So being a gay person, you've got the androgyny down. You know, in the indigenous tribes, they called us the bird ashes. We were the sacred ones that were given by God because we had that masculine, feminine thing. Now, in the Christian church, not so much. But I'll, I'll go with the indigenous people on this one. God cannot help making the gift because God is the gift. We do not have to pray God to be God because God, God already is God. Well, I think the premise must be God. It's always God. It's already there. And it's trying to get you to wake up to your true nature, Mr. Michael. You know, Herman knows he's that, doesn't he? But Michael sometimes forgets. And then you hear the, in the Sufi tradition, all is a forgetting and a remembering. When I forget who I am, I think I'm separate from you. But when I remember who I am, I realize that we're all the same, that we're all little chickpeas in the great big pot of love. Rumi has that wonderful metaphor of the chickpea. Again, he uses myth and metaphor, and he says the chickpea is trying to get out of the soup because it's too hot in the soup. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And the beloved has his spoon and say, get back in the pot. You're not fully cooked yet. Get back. And he keeps hitting the chickpea. Get in the pot. Get in the pot. Because when you're fully cooked, well, then there's no more chickpea separate from the other chickpeas, and you become a big plate of hummus. I mean, just using the metaphor to its ultimate. I love hummus. The way to proceed is to begin right where we are. Right now, Ernest Holmes, stay with the one and never deviate from this. Never leave it for a moment. Nothing else can equal this attitude. And then he quotes this, to desert the truth in the hour of need is to prove that we do not know the truth. You need the truth now more than ever. What's going on on the planet? We need the truth. There's a pony in this somewhere. And we get to call forth the good, the God in ourselves and in our fellow neighbors. There's no better place to be, is there, than to be in service to the one that's serving us. Right at the beginning of the class, the premise must be God. Skipping over here, he says, the person who can throw himself with complete abandonment into this limitless sea of receptivity, all capital letters, having cut loose from all apparent moorings, where you're tethered to some religion or belief system or whatever, you've uh, cut yourself loose from the moorings. This is the one who will always receive the greatest reward because you've stepped out of the, the known and you've stepped into the unknown. 
you've stepped out of what you think you know. And then you hear Henry David Thoreau last week on my Zen calendar. He says, when I, when I forget everything that I know or think I know, all my learned ways, then I can fall into wisdom. The wisdom is not from the one who has all the answers. The one who says they've got all the answers doesn't. But when you can fall into the mystery of I don't know, well, then something is teachable. Something can be revealed. Could we open to the I don't know place and then let spirit guide us through our intuition? It's doing a beautiful job with you, Ashley. I watch it. And you, you shine from within when it, when it flows. Could we all give ourselves, give yourself to God if, if God is what you're after? Open your heart to the tears and laughter. Just give yourself to love. Give yourself to love. Skipping on. Oh, Ernest Holmes, the four elements for prayer. Recognition, that it's all God. Identification, if it's all God, well, guess it must be with me and everybody else. The third step of prayer is to declare, what is it the highest truth that you know in this sacred moment? That if it's all God and it's right here within each one of us, well, the greatest declaration is, well, then it live this life. Give your life to this divine love, to this intelligence, to this freedom, to this peace. And then the last step of prayer is the deepest acceptance, that it's already so. You don't have to get it. It's already there. We enter our. We just need to remember it. I am remembering who I am. And that's how Ernest Holmes starts off this lovely um, teaching of saying that the thing itself is God and it's revealing itself everywhere in the universe. I wanted to close with a little prayer from a mystic, Richard Rohr, because I think we need to get our truth from many different sources. Richard Rohr, a Catholic, Franciscan monk, he talks about spirituality in a panentheistic sort of way. And he uses that word very openly. We are a panentheistic teaching. Now, you've heard of monotheism that says there's one God that right over here. Then you've heard of pantheism says God is in everything. But panentheism basically says that we're in God and God is within us. So it's like the cloud is in the sky, but the sky is also in the cloud. The ocean is in the wave, but also the wave is in the ocean. So we're in God, and God's within us. That's the panentheistic way. So Richard Rohr, who was one of my heroes, he wrote this book called What the Mystics Know, and, and he wrote another book called The Immortal Diamond. And um, I love the way he talks about, listen to this as a monk. He says, God is choosing us right now. Well, you're being chosen by God, Adam. What does he mean by that? He says, my starting point is that we're already there. It's not some place that we have to get. We cannot attain the presence of God because we're already totally in the presence of God. You're already there. What's absent is our awareness of it. So I'm offering you the gift of awareness, the greatest gift I can offer. I have an awareness. This divine light is shining through each one of you. Divine love is flowing through each one of you. That the expression of God is right there looking at me with his glasses on. What's absent is this awareness. So little do we realize that God is maintaining us in existence with every breath that we take. Every breath. And then breath is another word for spirit. And then you get to this beautiful metaphor. We enter on the breath and we leave on the breath. And we don't really go anywhere. Isn't that amazing to know that we don't go anywhere? As we take another breath, it means that God is choosing us now and now and now and now. Because if spirit is breath and we're breathing... Well, then we're being chosen, and that says God is choosing you with every breath. Wasn't well, that fun to play with, Ashley? Every breath is a divine breath. Every one. 
now and now and now, and we have nothing to attain and nothing to learn. For all of you who want to learn more and attain more, there's nothing more to attain. Just breathe. We do, however, need to unlearn a whole lot of stuff. Well, what would that mean, Adam, to unlearn a whole lot of stuff? The first thing, that you were born in sin and that you need to, uh, all that sort of stuff. He says, once you wake up, Richard Rohr, he says, stay awake. And then once you're awake, stay watchful. Experiencing radical grace is like living in another world. It's not a world in which I labor to get God to notice me and like me. If I'm good enough, he'll send me to heaven. No. It's not a world in which I strive for spiritual success and perfection. It's not a cosmic game of crime and punishment. Prayer is not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts. Rather, it's a stance. It's a way of simply living in presence, living in the moment, living in presence. The beingness becoming more of itself through each breath, through each conscious embrace. This presence, living in the presence, living in the awareness of the presence, and even enjoying ourselves as the presence. The full contemplative is not just aware of presence, but trusts, allows, and delights in it. We trust, we allow, and we delight in it. Well, I think the premise must be God. That's how we get to start this journey, isn't it? What should we do now? Okay. The ring the bell treatment? Okay. Um, Jen, you're close. You want to ring the bell? And then we'll do a little... Um, after that, we'll do a little music with a collection. Thank you, Janet. For whom the bell tolls. Hemingway says, Hemingway says, the bell tolls for thee. And we ring the bell to quiet the mind, to stop the mind. And then in that radical stopping, we open the heart. So we have what we call the heart mind. The Sufis say, put the head into the heart so that when thoughts arise, they're loving thoughts, they're compassionate thoughts, they're tender thoughts, kind thoughts. And so we play this game of who am I with every breath that we take. And the invitation this Sunday morning is to remember that we are that, Tatwam Asi, thou art that that which is the one life waking up in its creation. And we are that creation waking up to its true nature. The Buddha consciousness is waking up. When Jacob awoke, Israel awoke within Jacob, the God self awoke within him. And this is a practice that we all get to experience moment by moment, breath by breath. There is that which is seeking us. Could we say yes? as it courts us every moment of every day. You can tell when the truth is awakening because beauty seems to be one of its consequences. We see beauty in the smallest of things. When the little spider ran under the table, tiny little spider, I saw the beauty of this little, little life force who's found refuge at the center. Maybe it came on one of the roses that Adam brought in. I've got a feeling he brought in the little spider with him. And so I smile to the little spider within me, knowing that we're not separate. We're all connected. 
And there's a sense of belonging that is palpable. We belong to each other. We belong to life. This life that is ever becoming more of itself. And as Rumi says, we're here to walk each other home. Each one of us. And so this little bromeliad by my side is taking me home to this beautiful life that we share. And as it exhales, I inhale, knowing that the oxygen that comes off the little bromeliad gives David oxygen and fills this room with oxygen. And so we enter spirit in many ways. We're breathing together in this garden of life. Then we reflect on the garden, how everything in the garden has a purpose and a meaning. And without trying to figure it out with the mind, we just open to it with our heart and know that we are here walking each other home literally to the kingdom of heaven that's within and all around. And then we begin to see it's all our own self. Wheresoever I look, I see the face of God. Wheresoever I look, I see my own self mirrored back. It's the one life yet again revealing the mystery of belonging. And in that mm, sweet reflection of belonging to the universe, we reflect on the word universe, una, one, verse, song. We are the one song of life. We hear that beautiful, loving presence when you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, no, nothing is going right. Just close your eyes and think of me, the beloved, and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest times. And so we know we have a friend in this love, in this presence, in this smile that's within us and all around us. We claim the grace of this knowing. This awareness sets us free to be all that we were meant to be. And our destiny is unfolding in ways that are surprisingly marvelous, dazzlingly clear, and wait for us to participate. We say, yes, I am ready. This life belongs to you. Do with it as you will. And in that invitation, we let ourselves be taken. We revel in the consequences of being taken. So it is. For listening to our podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.cslhuntsville.org. To create a brand new life.